I still get nervous doing my podcast sometimes. Really? I do, and so I try to relax somebody like. It depends who it is. I won't say who, but like it depends if, who the guest is. That's why most of the time I don't have a lot of guests because I'm not 100% comfortable with somebody. So it's like I always – but I know the guests that make you comfortable right away too. And Yeah, yeah. I know most of them obviously mm-hmm. on my show, okay. on my podcast. But there is sometimes there will be like somebody I don't know that well but, you know, is coming on. But Yeah, as I've done it a little bit, not a lot, but I, last year, now I'm talking to people who I've never met before and it is like – nerve-wracking yeah yeah and of course i mean i know more about you than you know about me which right, is right, interesting right. i mean you have this on your are we recording uh yeah is okay. That okay yeah yeah uh we we have this which is a good uh starting point because you put a lot of you put a lot into this so it's like already sort of like you come to like okay this guy's he takes this seriously like he built this thing and he's you got the you know, the little sign over there. As soon as I walked in, when I saw the sprinter from my house, I was like, oh, shut the f*** up. Like, this is... <laughs> I didn't know if it was going to be something we could... would have to lean, you know, like, sort of step in and, like, you know, not be able to stand up in it. Mm, or yeah. it could be a regular van, but it's got an extended roof. But I'm I'm sprinter. I'm sprinter. I'm My friend Andy Frasco, he's a musician, and he has a sprinter, and I'm just obsessed with what you can do with sprinters. Yeah. People customize them to all sorts of surfers and whatever you want to do. The sports sprinter is something that I didn't see till about a year and a half ago. And those things, I mean, if you have the money, like, look, I see people that on on TikTok that spent $3,000 on a van and they customized it. And that's romantic, too. But for me, just because I don't I don't know how to work on a car, the romance for me is that, you know, if I had... Uh, a certain amount of money, you know, to go get one of those, like, the ones that are just shut the f*** up, like $300,000, you know, it's got bathrooms, and and it's, but it's very romantic, the idea to be able to, like, even if I go 30, an hour from here, and I think sometimes the sprinter fantasy that I have, if I went over to see a friend of mine, a comedian friend of mine, and then afterwards, I don't have to drive home, I am home. Yes. I can get up and go to breakfast with them if they want. I have, like, wherever home is wherever you're at. Yeah. And I sort of, I see the romance in that. There is a lot. I mean, my parents, they always tell me, like, I would never, like, want to do it. Like, my mom's not, like, a camper or something. But, like, I like camping. So, you know, it, it is nice. It's You don't have the full-on shower and stuff, which some people do. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, like, I slept in San Luis Obispo last night because I like it there. Yeah. And it's like I wake up and I have my sink and my toothbrush and all that. And Yeah, you have your space. Yeah, which I love. So, so uh, yeah, maybe one day... Uh... You know, I, I'm on my way tomorrow to do a tour with Jim Gaffigan yes. on a tour bus. And, you know, I wanted, I was in love with tour buses like 25 years ago. I was like, I, I, I just love the idea of it. I thought it would be great. Some people go, oh, it might not be as great as you thought it was. But it was. Yeah, yeah. It was. I've done uh, like a tour bus situation like one time when I did like um, some video stuff for this hip-hop artist. It was like 12 people on that bus, so it was cramped, and you got your little bump See, that's what—it's funny you say that, because <laughs> in all due respect, the bands that finally get a tour bus, we're talking where, for, for the listeners, it's usually a tour bus has a driver, and that's one of the things about it. And they have the shocks, so you can sleep sleep good at night. But if you're in with 12 people, I could see that's a different situation. Yeah. So that could be a little rough. I was always, you know, in it with just—because we're not a band, just comedians. So there'd be like— 
sometimes with Jim, it's just Jim I and his road manager or whoever it is with Daniel Tosh. Sometimes it's just, you know, he has, we did a big tour where he had one tour bus with him and his wife and a couple they're really good friends with. And then I was in the other tour bus with the other two comedians. So that's like, you have your space. There's a front living room, a back. And we, I loved every day of it. We got along so well. It was so relaxing. You don't have to, the bad, the travel part is non-existent. Yeah, you don't have to go to the airport. You just yeah. sleep and then you wake up where you need and to be. You wake up where you need to be. And even if it's 10 hours, everyone does it different, you know? I like some, Jim like Jim Gaffigan likes to stay in the city and then we leave in the morning. Mm. I really do like that too because I like to go out after the show, find a place yeah. to have dinner and hang out. And um, so, but but there's also something good about, you know, you know, you get right after the show, get boom, right on the bus. Yeah. I always say, like, if I'm sleeping in my hotel room, I don't care if it starts up and drives in 10 hours while I'm sleeping, you know, and you just wake up, you're in Portland. Yeah. Feeling refreshed, you know. So yeah, you step out, it's a new world. Yeah. Out your door, which is kind of like this. But, uh, yeah, for this, it'd be nice to have a driver because I'm, I'm, like, tired. I like, get somewhere. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Rest, but, Obviously, yeah. that's not realistic. But this yeah. is so cool. I mean, Thank like, you. I was very impressed. I was like, I loved it. I was jealous. I was like, oh, this is so cool. Look what he, he had this as an idea. Everything's an idea, and most things people don't bring to fruition, but you're like, you did it. Thank you. I was in my parents' driveway, and I was like, I have this table. I'm like, I kind of want to do a podcast. I've, like, been interested by podcasts, and I'm, I'm like, my dad's sitting where, I sit, where you're sitting, and uh, he's, like, joking. He's like, welcome back to Nick's podcast. I was like, I think I could do it. And then you just got to yeah. do it, because some people say to do it about anything. Yeah, and anything. And then uh, you just do it. And now I'm on episode 15, which is... Nothing really compared to other people's shows, but you got to start somewhere. You know what? I will apply it to stand-up. A lot of times you meet some new stand-up comedian or you go in town a night early and they tend to have their open mic night. And I love to talk to comedians. I love to ask them how long they've been doing it. It's the first thing I want to go. Like, how long you've been doing it? Because I know, I remember every one year. I remember eight weeks in the comedy, and I remember two years. I know they're very different things. But sometimes they'll be like, uh, you know, like, I, I go, I'll ask them because I don't know. They're at the bar hanging out after the show. I go, are you a stand-up? Because you can usually tell. And they'll be like, well, I, not, not yet, but I just started a little while ago. And I'll go. Not that I'm the know-it-all, but at least it's my perception. I go, how long, how many times have you done it? They're like 22. I go, you're a comedian. You don't do it one time, two time, three. You might never do it again. That's not my thing. But you're certainly serious right now. You did once, then you did twice, then you did three. Yeah, some people do three times. Yeah, I tried stand-up three times. Four times, five times, six times, seven times, eight times, nine times. Okay, maybe 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. So at one that's point you go, you're, you're taking it seriously. Yeah. You yeah. did it. That's so you, you know, that's like, it's not only 15. It's like, yeah, I did 15, you know. Do you think it's people get like a bit self-conscious? They're like, well, I haven't had the success that I pictured. So I want to wait till I get there before I'm telling people I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And modesty. Yeah. And by the way, modesty is probably not a bad thing to have anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, uh, but anyway, so. Well, welcome. We go. Make Thank yourself you. at home. Thank uh, you. Just try to keep it low key here. And you got a nice, comfortable cushion here. Yeah, you took I'm that glad. into consideration. Yeah, yeah, I did. You know. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I mean, that was there before the podcast, but that's just for you, Tagla. <laughs> for the for the two people in the world who don't know who you are, can you uh, give us a, a quick intro? Oh no, that's your job, <laughs> Tagla. Everybody, <laughs> world famous comedian. I've been watching you since I was a kid. On uh, I first saw you, Tagla's awful prank show on Tosh.0, and um, I think this is one of the few times that I would have a guest on that I would feel starstruck, so welcome. Well, thank you. <laughs> you know what I always say, like, I don't get, 
I, I mean, inevitably, I am saying I get starstruck, but in the way I said, I don't get starstruck. I get talent struck. So if, you know, and I think that's what happens. If you see somebody you like, like I remember meeting, like, you know, whoever it is in the business you meet, you get, if you think they're, you know, so, um, but, uh, thank you for having me. And, um, and, and it's, and it's, uh, it's, uh, uh but, oh, so, so say, say, yeah, tell yeah. people who you are. Uh, they, but, uh, that would be just me reading my resume. I'd be like, well, I did this <laughs> and I did that. But, yeah. but, um, uh, Tosh.0, it's funny because I, I get like sometimes people will send cameos and they're like, roast, can you roast my friend? And uh -oh. the really, the, I mean, it's so absurd that the, 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 uh, the, the, the prop, the uh, Todd Glass's awful prank show. It's always just a parody to me of the absurd. It's just so, uh, but I'm not really that way. I don't like that at all. I mean, I'm actually the, you know, like I don't want to roast anybody. I know I'm so insecure. Mm. So when people go roast, sometimes I don't, I go, I know you want me to roast your friend. I don't want to roast your friend. You yeah. Know? And I just try to take it somewhere else. I mean, I mean, you're acting. It was brilliant. First of all, like I was laughing today because on the way over here, I was like, uh, one of the first ones I saw is when you like abduct the kid. In the Adu that's, that's one of the first ones. Yeah. yeah. It was just silly. It was just like, I mean, that's what's cool when you have like a bit that just starts with your friends and, you know, and then they're like, oh, we could do it. And I would always like do when we were ever hanging out, I would be like, hey, do you know what time it is? That was a real one from real life. And I would go, uh, I would go, uh, I have a, a, a cell phone. My, I don't need to know what time it is, you an idiot like i just pranked them really good it was the most mild prank you know and then i would just go off on how stupid they were <laughs> so then he's like do you want to do something for the show i'm like yeah and then i always and then i'm two years in i go i don't know if i want to do that anymore really and he goes he goes oh well think of something else you could do I swear to God, it's so pathetic. I thought about it, and I asked somebody, a friend, hey, what else can I do in Tosh.0? Like, I want to maybe change. And, and he goes, about a year and a half after that, he goes, did you think of anything? I go, no, I can't think of it. <laughs> I go, well, how pathetic am I? You know, I should be able to think of something. So those would just keep making me laugh. There are a few that he suggested. I go, oh, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't. It's really? too, it's too... You know. worse, worse than the the military guy greeting the woman in the audience. Yes, that was the that was the C version. That was because I didn't want to do one and two. That would only happen twice. Yeah. which I love that he usually it's the other way around. You know, and they would just throw me my lines. Yeah. It was always fun. I I don't have a good memory. My dyslexia is really bad, and I get nervous with auditions. I don't do well. But their their writers would just stand there. And just throw me my lines, you know, and that was fun for me because they were always funny lines, and I, they would that's they do one thing at a time, and they just throw they just yell my lines out, and I would just say repeat it. Have you seen that show, uh, Nathan? For you, I have. Yeah, yeah, I have. I read an article where he was like, "I'm not like that in real life," where you know where you're in a situation and you say something, then you catch yourself, you're like, "Oh, that was awkward," mm -hmm. and then you you know like do the catch up, like I'm gonna like make the situation better, like oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean it that way, but but Nathan Fielder would just like sit in those awkward you know moments on purpose and it yeah. was like after shooting for months i needed to like decompress because it's it's you're not really like that so for you was it like i'm not really that mean guy so it's no, um no it was, i think that the difference is is minor actors he's using real people i yeah. couldn't do that to be honest <laughs> it would be too hard for me because it's just like 
I guess I'm trying to do the opposite. Now, I don't mind if my comedy bothers people, if they disagree with the social belief I have. And okay, I get it. I have made people uncomfortable. But I don't want to purposely. My goal is never. I get it if you disagree with something I have, a social opinion especially. In stand-up, you're going to, you know, you're going to offend people. But, um, or make them uncomfortable if you're doubting their religious beliefs. I get it. I get it. But uh, it's never my goal. So, like, in those situations, they're using real people. I would, I couldn't, I'd, even afterwards, you probably go over to them and you go, hey, sorry, you know, we had to, they, they probably have in-between takes, but I couldn't. Because sometimes those people are confused as, <laughs> they don't yeah. know, and they're just, they don't know what to do. They're on TV, they get uncomfortable, and, oh, it gives me anxiety. Right, you're watching, and you're like, oh, just tell them already. Yeah. Yeah, like, you want to wear, you know, they, they, you know, anyway. But, um, yeah, because it's, it, with this, it's actors, um, you know, so it's, they're they're in on the joke. I'm not doing it to people, passerbyers, you know. So how long have you been doing stand-up comedy? Like, do you have a, a what year exactly would you say you're like that was the first time yeah, you got on stage? I went to an open mic night. I would go to the comedy works, and I've told the story before, but I don't. I I like telling the story. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's uh, it's, uh <laughs> it, is, it is in the book. Um, because it's great memories, you know, and I, my friend went to a comedy club and back then this was in like 80, maybe one. And he saw, by the way, there's a lot of acts. I remember, I do remember their names and they might've not even been doing standup anymore. And I never mentioned them. I always feel like I only mentioned the ones that went on because it, it gives you a perspective of who I was seeing when you know who I'm talking about. But there's 20 people that I remember their names and they might not be doing comedy, but me and all my friends are like, remember this guy, remember that guy? And they were just as funny. But with that said, my friend, he went one week and he started talking about it. I had no idea what to expect. He said, yeah, I went to the comedy works. I thought it'd be like college students telling jokes. I didn't know, like, to me, you were either a household name. Like, we walked up three flights of stairs. And um, he told me about it, and then I wanted to go so bad. He goes, you have to make reservations like six months in advance. Now, keep in mind, we're 16 years old. Someone said that in a way like they're sold out a lot. So I'm like, I'm never going to get to go. But then he called me back. He goes, we got reservations for this. And I went, and for a period we saw, like, we, they weren't all famous then. Uh, the only two that were, even then it was a special event. And this is in 81. Uh Jerry Seinfeld and Jay Leno. Like, that was already, even back then, it shows before they even had TV success, back then they were a special event in 81. Wow. And they were probably making really, I remember what they made because I would, when I worked there, I would look at their checks. And it was good. And this is back in 81. And we'd saw, then we would see like Paul Reiser, Jerry Seinfeld, Jay Leno, Gary Shanling, Gilbert Godfrey, Stephen Wright. Like it would just, you know, Eddie Murphy, right? When he had just gotten on SNL. And, uh, you know, uh, we would just see these amazing acts week after week. And I loved it. And then finally they kept saying, you know, every Wednesday it's open mic night. And then there's where the story can get shorter. I went, met people that I loved and I knew, oh, like, I, I loved hanging out with other comedians. It was like, I don't have to, in hindsight, go, oh, I guess it was special. I knew it then. I was like, I found my people, you know? And they, I, and there were really a lot of nice people that we were all starting about the same time. That's amazing. And, I mean, I don't do stand-up, but, I mean, even the few comics that I know, it's like, would you say this is accurate? I feel like comedians are the most compassionate people. I mean, you do something for a living that... Your goal is to make other people feel good, not feel bad, you know? I think overwhelmingly 
even though I have to preface this just because of somebody over, I think there's a lot of times socially, I don't, well, you know, anything you really pertain to comedy pertains to just life, I notice. Like, you'll have a talk about comedy, you go, oh, that's the same thing that would make you a nice person in life. Like, you, you can't grow, you, you're not going to grow on stage if you don't grow off stage. That's just the way it's going to be. So I do disagree with a lot of comedians um, on their social beliefs. Okay. I think they get caught in the same thing. And, and look, I say this. And not only when I say it do I um, acknowledge that I've said it before because I think I owe a reason. I've talked about this a lot, every f***ing podcast. Now, you did, did I lead the interview? No, I think you asked me a question. It got down to that path of, like, compassionate people. Mm-hmm. And then obviously I'm like, oh, man, am I looking for a reason to talk about this? Or And I think it's appropriate. Um, they're compassionate, uh, like, when you know them. Even comedians that I disagree with their social beliefs them i think they're compassionate and i think comedians are overwhelmingly pretty nice even with all their problems i know so many comedians that i have just such great affection for and and it's it's i mean it's so great there's a lot of warmth i know there's other stuff too but there's also a lot of warmth and you know if, if if i was to die right now i would say to every comedian like thank you for just giving me this crazy cool experience not only to do the stand-up but to walk into green rooms and everywhere you go and everyone's in a good mood usually and silly and greet you with a lot of warmth and it's 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 something i could take for granted but i try not to and that's why if i talk about it it goes yeah it's pretty amazing there's a lot of nice people that you get to run into all the time yeah yeah i'm sure there's exceptions to that rule and you know in any profession but yeah something really fascinates me about the the art of stand-up comedy too because it's something that has morphed over time like it really is people you know talking about the current state of affairs of society and so that changes um but then there are those people like jay leno who who stay successful for so long is it because um i mean you too uh where you just kind of find fresh takes on things that are happening all the time I mean, even if you don't stay current, you have an audience that hasn't stayed current either. That's what happens yeah. a lot, too. Like, if you if you don't grow, you have an audience still. I might disagree with what you're saying. Matter of fact, there's probably a bigger audience for that not growing. Because uh, most people are tired of growing. Most people are fed up with any change. So if you go, oh, now, you know, all you have to do is shit on youth and shit on anything new. And the masses are going to love it. Because it comforts, you have this comedian that's brilliant. Sometimes I might disagree with their social beliefs, mm-hmm. but but they're still they know how to turn a phrase. They know how, they're the most dangerous ones because they'll convince this audience that their feelings are right through comedy. It's a powerful tool to make people that already don't want to change and maybe you know you know whatever it is. It's it, it could be I always say it's not so social all the time. It could be the Redskins changing the name, or it could be recycling, or it could be people that are vegan or pe- any those comedians that make fun of all the sh- they should be backing. You know, yeah. like that. I get a smell that a lot of the comedians of today, I could smell who would have made fun of the hippies mm, in see. 1972. Because that didn't go down well, I would imagine. Oh, these hippies. Now you look back what their causes were. Recycling, respecting the planet. So you don't want to be the comedian. Oh, these hippies, you know. <laughs> so 
that's what you do. You tell people through comedy that they're right. You sell the point for them, and it feels good because now you're funny and you're convincing them, oh, you don't have to work on yourself. It's the world that is crazy uh, when it's probably the opposite. I see. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It that's does. why when a, when you when a comedian turns on his own people is always the the funniest to me because that's there's you know you you tell everybody yeah he's he is a, a, a he's jewish and he says it's true that jews are this or he's mexican and when they go it is true and they mean oh great they love that the audience even he said it's all right. right but he's only speaking for himself but they comes off as people think no he look he's he's the authority here so but um that's got to be tricky because, I mean, if you take a stance and you're like somebody who, you know, works in a lot of social, you know, things happening into your act, you know, it's inevitable that you're going to alienate some group of people. So yeah. do people, is it often that people that are trying to find that line of like, I want to sell tickets so I don't want to like, you know, hurt the feelings of the people in this city? Yeah, that, I think, uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Like, I think there's comedians that know their audience and maybe shut up on a view if they think they're going to match. But some of them don't. Some, a lot of them don't. A lot of them, you know, they'll just ch talk and they lose. Sometimes they'll lose audience members. But at least if they're being truthful, that's good because you'll gain audience members, too. I mean, I think, you know, Jim Gaffigan, notoriously during the uh, the uh, pandemic, uh, you know, said it. You know, at one point, come on, if I don't say this, you know, I come on, it's not that edgy what I'm saying. And and he probably he probably annoyed a lot of his followers, but I think a lot of people also respected him. They go, Yeah, you you can draw the line somewhere and not be petrified of the because how how good can life be as a performer if you're always writing for this audience? But I think it happens. Yeah. I think it happens, you know. The I jokingly tell myself sometimes amongst my friends, I go, I go, this next special, I'm not telling anybody what to do, or even the lighting in their house is too bright. I'm like, I'm passionate, so whatever I talk about, I'm like screaming, you know, why, why, why are your lights so bright, or their dish soap, or social views, which I very hard, I'm going to talk about it. All I'm going to do, as I said, I told my friend Daniel Keenan, I go, I'm just going to talk about it. The only thing social will be when defending kids today. I'll have like a five-minute chunk kids today. Meanwhile, now I'm on the road, and every night I get on stage, and that kids chunk is like now much longer. Mm. And then I'm still now making fun of people that like big sandwiches. I go, can I just make fun of like, and I realize something like it's, I know what I could make fun of. Like if somebody goes, just go write an hour of sh that would annihilate. And and I do well. It's not like I'm saying I don't do well, but you, I get like, come on the masses. You're just talking about, I could write it. Obviously. I think any comedian could, even if he doesn't agree with the stuff, mm -hmm. you just make fun of kids today. You, um, anything new you on. You really take a big hot on the people that are vegetarians. The crowds love that. Oh, and you make up lies that aren't even true. You know these vegetarians, they always come over to your house. Oh my God, you carrots. That doesn't even happen. They're so nice. They're so unassuming. They don't want to put anybody out. But but it's like they people love that. Yeah, I, right. like I have a joke in my act, and they go, people, we we didn't have bottled water back when I was a kid. People are like <laughs> people love yeah, and it all leads towards kids are soft. That's why I don't like it. That everything leads towards what they did. The kids today are soft. And it's just, I can't help but talking about it. And then I yeah. go, you're going to lose more people. But I go, geez, I don't need that much in life. So if just I'll say what I want and have less money. <laughs> you <know? laughs> hey, yeah, you want to be honest to yourself, right? But Yeah, you, you do. <laughs> would, well, okay, some people are going to be, I guess, less compassionate than others in the comedy world. But would you say that 
everybody has to be opinionated because you have to find a take on something. So well, you have yeah, to be very opinionated. You, yeah, you, you you could be fair. I mean, look, you know, look, I'll say this real quick. You, yeah. When people go, what's fair? History writes that usually. We just, you, the one side says what they believe and the other side says what they believe. And then history will write which side. Mm -hmm. Because every era there were comedians making fun of the group that was probably not the group to make fun of. And you go, well, who's to know? Time. Time. I see. And there is a running theme of the group that usually doesn't age well that you were making fun of is the group that wanted things the new way and different. But the group that goes, ah, leave it the way it is. Everything's fine. We need to go back to that way. That group usually doesn't look too good. So I just take that theory current and go, I can guess who's going to weather the storm better than mm. other people. Not that that's the only reason I do it. I do it because it's from my heart. But uh, what was your question? Uh, I think, no, it was just like, uh, you have to have, you have to be opinionated. Right, have, right, right. Yeah, yeah. You can be opinionated, but it can be on the uh, can be on the right thing. You know, you don't. Yeah. But, but but you know, because finding a unique take on something like you don't have to, maybe you don't feel particularly passionate about vegetarianism, but like you have to find like the the thing that's going to be unique as a yeah. It can be. You know what it it does. It's like I said. It, it, you know, it's the same thing that would make you an interesting person off stage. So the reason it's like, well, Todd, they just disagree with you. I know I've seen comedians do bits that disagree with me, and they're brilliant bits. I disagree, but there's lo there's logic to their point. Th these are bits a lot of times that are based on just. Uh, uh, I'm not saying they shouldn't be able to do the bit. I'm just critiquing those bits. Like, you know, I I've seen these. You know, like these shows where like they just the comedians pour it on because people love it. You know, and um, the uh, oh, the uh, what, what did you say again? I'm sorry, you can oh, edit this uh, out. No, 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 it's all part of the experience. Yes. Uh, having an opinion. On, oh, having an opinion. Yeah. So, yeah, the other side's just making fun of it. Yeah, they're just doing what they believe, and I'm doing what I believe, and then, you know, but... Uh, that that I guess the history all right like I do but I but I do think it's fun to analyze that thing of like you know people just uh, anything new is bad like those mm -hmm. comedians yeah. oh what's it with vegetarians and I always want to go like Andy Kindler used to have a good joke it's like they go I got a day I saw sugarless chocolate who's that for diabetics you dumb f now get the hell off the stage you shouldn't be able to like if you're trying to make your comedy better and better. Yeah, a friend of mine had a, a good little litmus test to run your jokes through. Because sometimes it's a joke, but is it novice, you know? And especially when you're doing comedy five, six, seven, eight years, you know, you, you want your jokes to like, you know, like like there's an adage, you, you, the audience shouldn't get to the punchline before you. That's a helpful one. Oh, yeah, if they're getting to the And the other one was, yeah, it's a joke. Like when you, And I've said this about my own jokes. That's how I got rid of them. But it's a lot of times when you're watching another comedian, you're like, oh, that's what he... That's the joke the audience had to hear. And he would go, it would be like if you went to the comedy, the magic club up in the hills of Hollywood to see magic. You drove there. Remember, you're these people that come to a comedy club, they're driving, they're parking, they're paying a babysitter. So imagine you did that. You went, you parked, you thing, you ate dinner there. It's very expensive. And then, and then you go into one of the rooms to see magic, and the guy comes out and he does the thing where he moves his finger away from his hand and the <laughs> nose thing. Well, they are magic tricks. Seriously, they yeah. are magic. Yeah. But... Did you want to pay a babysitter, go to park, eat, drink, have a to see the guy do this? It's like, well, why? If it's a magic trick, well, we know the answer to that because it's nothing I couldn't think of or do. <laughs> I mean, maybe you're, you know. So I always try to think about that to keep my joke. Like, yeah. you know, is it, is it, is it this? Oh, you know, be a great sketch, by the way. To see the guy. <laughs> well, we thought about that, and then you comes in, and the people are like, "Oh Jesus, look at that." 
I once, I know a magician, Justin Williams. Justin, I'm saying his name wrong, but it, but he wouldn't care and it doesn't matter now. So when, when he was at the podcast, I asked him, I go, can I ask you a stupid question? Justin Williams. I go, um, like, if you can you do the thumb thing, but even better? And you know what? He did. Like, <laughs> so much better. Yeah. Like, you go, oh, that stupid little thumb trick. But I still don't want to see him do it right. to, if I paid money to see him do it. Yeah. So you don't want your jokes to be this. Ah, oh, that's such a good point. It is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You want this of the jokes? So there's yeah. this. There, obviously, if there's this in magic, what is that in jokes? And you try to go, okay, maybe, yeah, you don't need to do that. The average person could think of that. Right. Speaking of sketches, and I hate to bring this up because I just listened to this on your podcast, but uh, I love, um, I think you should leave. I just want to tell you that. I'm glad that you did. Yeah. Me too. I binged it immediately, both seasons. You did? Cracked up at every episode it's, out loud. <laughs> you know, it's so visceral. Is that the right word? It's not yeah. just funny. It's like, it'll shred your interior and it's oh heartwarming and sometimes it's cute and sometimes it's, oh, it's sad. Like, oh, how did that wrap up like that? Yeah. I'm like a huge fan. I'm a huge fan. Um, it, it has made sketch to another level of what what the laughs it can get, yes. what you can get out of a person from a sketch. I mean, I would I'm not the only one. I know other people. It's like a cult. Yeah. And they're yeah. doing the bits and they're they're buying like things. And I know if I, we have a friend and his friend, not even for Halloween, made the, the shirt with the uh, Tommy with the, oh, the the pull tab. Yeah, the pull tab on the shirt. <laughs> he made one. I'm like, oh, I love that you made that. He just showed up yeah. wearing it. I'm like. I got it. That's amazing. Yeah. If people ask me, like, like what is funny to you, like, the, my favorite one is when uh, it's like, oh, I guess Christmas came early when the, oh, the new copier. So, <laughs> like, that's a great example of you're not even sure where the comedy lays or what she's upset about right away. But it's so funny anyway. And then there's a the stuff that's just, yeah. it's all, I'm not, it sounds like I'm insulting you by going, oh. but you know what I mean? That's a very calm but explosive sketch of like and then at the end when he laughs at her joke she's so happy and i'm like oh like i'm watching the sketch it's so absurd but then like oh i want her to be happy she's just you know she's a powerhouse yeah well i've read she does other things she's been in other things yeah she's one of those people the more you learn about the more you uh see other work they've done but i think you should leave yeah i i uh i've been enjoying the hell out of that show if i don't have anything to watch i'm like that's my good. That's that's go me to too. It. Yeah, yeah. You can watch it just, and I love watching something once, uh, and then you can have it on, and then you like can picture it in your mind. You're listening to the thing. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and and, and it's so um, like to notice different things. Like sometimes I I started to just watch it. I would tell everyone, let's just watch just the supporting actors. Try to keep your eyes off the main thing. And sometimes it's funny because they say something that's funny, but what also I find very funny is when it's an absurd situation and the what makes it funny is just how real the acting is. Mm. I mean, it could have been in a in a in a movie. The reaction is, you know how actors like you can you something the more natural they are, it's like, God, it's you swear like and then they'd be like that. Like it would just be like, I wonder if she's even an actress. She looks like they might just really have gotten a librarian. Like it's yeah. so well played. <laughs> In, yeah. the, in the in the midst of all this absurdity, and then you look at the reaction, and then you're like, God, oh, it's so funny. Yeah. Just that. Yes. I took a screenwriting class in college, and they said, you know, when you're writing, um, 
if you take a situation that's like already comedic, if you take like a funny situation and you put like, you know, a goofy actor in it, it's going to be slapstick. But if you take like a serious actor and put them in that funny situation, it's funnier that way. It's certainly, you know, I think comedy is probably a lot like any art form, of course. And I just thought about that it's not an insult that arts, arts, no matter what they are, music, comedy, stand-up, I think the running theme is that they get more honest. Hmm. Movies have gotten more. That doesn't mean you're spitting on the brilliant movies of the past. When comedy grows, it doesn't mean that you're going, well, there wasn't good comedy back then. There was. But it's not sad or disrespectful to go, it grew. It got more real. Hmm. And that's why it got better. That's why music gets better. People that don't think music got better is because they don't know where to search for it, you, you know. So, but but music yeah. is at an amazing time. How could it not? It's an insult to the artist when you can go directly. I'm not saying there wasn't brilliant music years ago. Of course, that's not my point, and most people know it's not my point. But you say it just in case, you know. Right. So when you go, it got better. You're going, oh, so that was bad? No, 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 no. That's that's if. But um. And with sketch, what you just said about the what you just said, again, that doesn't negate SNL's brilliance. But when you go back now and look at it, everybody was a cartoon character. Yeah. And maybe that's why it's funnier now, because it's like, oh, it is funnier when that role is taken so drop dead seriously. And then this can be uh so again, the 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 stuff that was great back then is still great. But you know, it's okay that comedy, same thing. People can, people think, oh, it used to be. Okay, that's not the way it is. Comedy is more real now than it's ever been. You can talk about more sh You can say words that you couldn't say before. Yeah, there's you get a lot of kickback sometimes, but that's, you know, that's the price you pay. But it's, comedy is represented by more types of people ever than in the history of the world of stand-up. And that's not a mercy mission for the diversity. When you have a diverse audience, your crowds are better. Mm. When I go to a comedy club, and what do you, what is better? You know what? To me, better, uh, they listen, they have an appreciation. It's a common respect for people or an art or whatever it is. And um, when you go to a club and on the wall you see a lot of diversity, yeah, guess what? The crowds are better too. And... I remember once a comedian telling me he was touring with somebody and he goes, yeah, the crowds today, they just yell, they heckle, they all. And I went inward. I didn't say it. I went, oh, I knew who this person was opening for. And I went, no, their crowd. You're making it like it's a thing now in the universe. No, no, that person draws a certain audience. And that audience even annoys them because they don't realize, yeah, you might, the crowd that comes out to see you is because they like all your beliefs. Well, sometimes that makes them the type of people that might heckle more or talk more or not because the people I'm opening for and, and that's not a, a compliment to me, but it is a compliment to who I open for and the things that they say and the jokes that they make. Mm. Um, their crowds are unbelievable. Yeah. When you preach that on the right side, you get people that come out and because I'm like, oh, it's not like that at all. I mean, I've opened for like a lot of people and luckily good comedians because yeah. I think that's who would hopefully like me but um, the crowds can be and we could be in a room with 6,000 people and you're like did you like after even we all get off stage we're like can you believe how like they were just there to watch the show so you know you uh, 
when you like I was saying, you the the crowd. That's what's cool about working. That's what's cool about comedy being more diverse now. That yeah. When I start when I was doing comedy in the eighties, it literally and we were not stupid. I remember my comedian friends going, "How come only white people come out to see shows?" Now I understand. I go back and look at a lot of the jokes that were being made. Why would a gay person or a black person or a woman want to sit at a comedy show? It's it was painfully bad. Mm-hmm. And the brilliant comedians. It's funny. Not everybody did it. You go back and look at it. You find comedy from the 80s. Yeah, there might be a touch of it. We all grow. But I'm th- when you go back and look at the comedians that were big in the 80s that you still can watch their work and go, oh, it stood the test of time. It's funny how it doesn't have a lot of homophobic jokes and racist jokes and stereotype jokes about every damn group of people. It really stands the test of time better. I like that. That's really nice. It's, it is nice. And, um, and um, it's a testament to, you know, that... Uh, you draw who you are. Yeah. You might not want to believe that. That's why you subconsciously go, oh, crowds today. No, your yeah. crowd. Right. And there's probably times when people, you know, in those eras where they're like, ah, oh, if I just, if I, you know, punch down on them, I'd definitely get a laugh. I had, you know, if I have like a joke that I could make, but they don't or something. Yeah. I mean, I think most of the time, I know it's weird I'm ending it like this, but saying they just saying, they are saying what they believe. Uh, and I certainly hope I don't come off as saying, hey, be fair and socially decent because it'll make your work last longer. No, but it is a byproduct of yeah. that. As you do it, hopefully, from your heart. But it's a byproduct that you will, uh, that you'll have a, that the crowd will, the crowd that you draw will be, be better, kinder. That's really cool. I like that. So my previous episode actually was a, a comedian from New York, Jared Freed. Um, he's very funny. I've I've been to, this is embarrassing to admit to you, I've only been to two comedy shows ever, and they were both Jared Freed, which I love Jared Freed. Now what made you, though, want to, are you interviewing just stand-ups? No. no. Oh, you're not? Okay. Uh, people that I think are awesome. That, 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 you know what, <laughs> that make that makes sense. So, yeah, so, so, and by the way, like, now it makes, makes, now I understand, you know, so, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm on somebody who, it's like, well, I'm in LA, I gotta get Todd Glass, he'll be, no. he'll do it. Um. No, no, but, um, it's really because I like you as a person, right. not like, oh, who could I do comic-wise? Right, right, right. like, right. I like you as a person, so. I didn't know if you just did something. Not that this doesn't yeah. matter. I was just yeah. curious. But, um, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just saying, um, he was uh, telling me how when he first started, um, he said that when he killed for the first time, like, that was a drug to him that he knew he wanted to get again. For you, what was it about stand-up comedy that made you want to like continue to do it i mean it is a lot of fun you know it really is a lot of fun and you know a lot of the answers might sound just so you know formulaic but hearing laughter come at you is is certainly nice and even though a lot of times like there might be you know you depending on what club you go to but i'm at the point in my career now where i go to clubs that that, you know they're they're heavily policed they they don't put up with anything yes Mm -hmm. It's a, you know, but it, there's, you know, you go to the good comedy clubs, you're met with tons of nice people every night yeah. and a staff that's usually very friendly. So, but even in the beginning days, like, yeah, just, just, you know, I always loved stand up. Even when I was like, like a lot of comedians, you find out like when they were really young. And I remember my friend said, you know, it's one of the cool things about stand up as far as going to see it even uh, is that like, if, if you go to a good movie, forget about a bad movie, a good movie you don't get as many laughs as you get if you go see 
a comedian that can on the road, let's say on the road, not LA where they're trying new stuff, but they're on the road, they're doing their best hour. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of comedians that can really kill. And that's a lot of laughs, more than a movie, even a good movie. You go in there, I can name 25 comedians right now that you go see their hour. Not only the ones that are household names, but I know I know 25 in the category of, you might not know who they are, but they've been doing this 20 years, 25, and you get a lot of belly laughs. And I went to see stand-ups, so I remember that. And that's why I loved it, because it was like, you know what? We went to a good club, but you can find a club in any city that's suitable for you, I think. If you have a few, you find the one that books the type of comedians you like. Maybe I lucked out. But 90% of the time, we really love the whole show. Yeah. You know, or we mad the opener wasn't our thing, but like every every time we went, we we never left unsatisfied. It was really fun. That's great. Yeah. What is that feeling like when you're up there and all of a sudden you have a group of people laugh and react the way that you want them to and you're able to yeah, feel that satisfaction? What's that like? It's fun. It's it's very powerful in a, in a good way and and it's very it's when you're at a good club and and you're up there and you have control of everything and you care. Like, you know, (laughs) now I have a, um, I'll bring a keyboard player with me everywhere I go. And then I'll get a local drummer, sometimes guitar, sometimes trumpet. And and the guy with me, he has has a keyboard and an iPad and and it's a well-oiled machine. Even using new musicians, we do like three hours of rehearsal. And that's basically a stand-up show but there's music elements in it. Not me singing, but like, even when they play as the crowd's being seated, they play. And then when the show starts, there's a blackout and I'll get out onto the stage sometimes and the band plays and they're good and it's tight. You know, they know what the f- they're doing, this small little band. And then I'll cut them off and I go like that. And they, boom, they stop. And then I'll go like this with a with my hand. I stole this from a, a Paul Anka. And I go, boom, and then the lights go out. Like I'm unscrewing a light bulb. So it's, da-da-da, and I go, boom. And I go, mm. and I go, folks, that's right. The lights come back on. I go, let me tell you something. Even at my worst, and this should be good news to you, even at my worst, when I'm at my worst, now keep in mind I'm trying, but even when I'm trying and I'm doing my worst, I'm still f-ing great, even when I'm horrible. <laughs> so sit up and show a little respect. <laughs> and, you know, I'm half kidding, half serious, meaning that, like, I, keep in mind I'm there to perform. I'm not walking through it. So I'm in a good mood. I'm ready to perform. And I think what it is is saying to them, I'm ready to go. I'm, I, I'm tight. I'm. I want to do well tonight. I've been doing this a long time. When you've been doing it a long time and you want to do well and you still love it, the odds are in your favor that I'm going to do a great f-ing job. And what I'm saying to them is, you sit up and pay attention too. Don't you f- it up? Because in my head, you're the only ones that can f- it up. Uh, I see. And, unless it was nights in my career where I drank too much. No, that was a different story, and it didn't happen that often. But never happens anymore because in that case it wasn't you didn't you weren't your best but when i'm now which is always you know even if i smoke a little before i go out or have two or three drinks that's about all i would have um i'm 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 at my best so i'm like i'm like that sit up folks i go you know i said i i i was wondering if you know you're always wondering if i'm gonna be good i go i'm wondering the same thing about you mm. so let's be in our best behavior everybody yeah you know? that's true because yeah. you can get like uh i mean like you said the the comic is going to attract a certain crowd or whatever but there can be like those one-off people i was sitting in front of some folks and it was like two people at a table and and a bottle of wine each and they're 
just as they're rude the whole time. And it's yeah. like, I feel bad for the, the guy, girl, or whoever on stage because, like, it's one thing for me to be annoyed, but I'm like, they're up there trying their best and, and doing this thing that they've worked so hard to perfect. Yeah, it, and again, that's what we said. It's, it's a respect for, I think it's sort of the human being you are. Whenever people are loud, I always try to it's a, paint a picture where I'm trying to be understand them. I go, well, they're not enjoying the show because people don't tend to talk when they... Unless they talk about the joke and they're too drunk, but when you see people just not even watching the show, they're not, they don't usually do that because they're having a blast. Mm. But I remember, I always think before I wonder if I'm setting the expectations of audience members too high, I, I remember, I always tell this with my friends, I go, remember when we used to go see bands when we were like 21 or we'd go to some place and there'd be a guitar player singing and we wanted to leave, we'd always be like, and this is when we were young, we'd be like, you two leave and then we'll leave. Why? Out of respect. That we didn't all want to get up. And so if we knew that, you know, so you got to remove yourself from the room. But the good thing, like I said, about the, the A rooms today, the A plus rooms, a, fr a friend of mine said this a while back. He goes, you know, they always deal with heckling at the comedy. Don't heckle, don't heckle, don't heckle. The truth is it's loud talking that, that can kill a show. And the staffs that treat it really keep an eye on it. And they keep an eye on it. You got to roam the room because... So often I would hear like, and I thought it was a great crowd and somebody would go, we were in the back, which back isn't that far in a 300 seat room. They go, the people next to us wouldn't shut up. And I go, wow, it's important to have the, I always tell the doorman, you, you need to go to the, walk the room. Yes, if you want to shut up hecklers, you can stand in one place all night and police a 300 seat room, but you need to stand there, stand there. Because sometimes somebody's talking loud enough just for four tables to hear it. And I know that sucks when you, I've had that happen to me when I've gone to see a show and I that's why I make it like I I am I want to be diligent on that but I don't want one person sitting next to someone because then your blood pressure gets up you're trying to enjoy the show and even if they're quiet for 20 minutes you're worried when they're going to start again yeah and I, I went to see somebody and the guy next to me was scrolling through his phone looking at contacts and his light was down that was annoying me i go i want to be around people having a good time so when that happened to me and then when i went back to the comedy you know like two weeks later i'm on the road my opening announcement which i do myself i up i up the pressure on that and i always tell the doorman let's really roam the room plant yourself yeah. everywhere in this room that way we'll make sure that doesn't happen and um i, I you know because because uh if you do that you create great audiences you're describing exactly how i felt because it's like they're quiet i'm like when are they gonna Ugh. it's the worst and then you're angry and then yeah. you're not enjoying the show and, and you're angry for a good and you don't want to say anything you know what i tell my podcast listeners don't let's say a thing don't look be friendly and smile and then go tell somebody that works at the club because once you complain if you go gosh then when the doorman comes over they know it's you and you feel the heat on your back as they stare at you so i go play nice if you need to i said just tell the doorman you won't say i complain just to because they they shouldn't they shouldn't but once in a blue moon that you you i heard a doorman say that once and about me i go to him i go 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 ask those people and he just didn't know he was a new guy it was innocent he goes hey the comedian and i went over i go no 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 you never say <laughs> yeah yeah you never say that you yeah. know but um well this happened to me and this is the second time I've where did it happen again Cobbs. Well, who were you seeing you were seeing jared, jared freed and uh, oh. these two people behind me, the rest of the room, you could hear a pin drop. I mean, of course, they're laughing and stuff. Um, two people behind me, and I go, hey, I'm, I'm so sorry to bother you. 
I'm, I'm saying, I'm really sorry to bother you, but you're a little loud. And they roll their eyes. They're like, oh, yeah, thanks. Thanks, dude. I hate that confrontation. It's the worst. But at the same time, it's like, I feel bad for the person on stage. You know, you're not able to focus. And yeah. It is. I, I guess I would give that advice to anybody because even if you're right, there's tension after that. Yeah. So no matter where you're at, don't say anything. You be nice, you smile, and then go. If it, I, I think probably anywhere you're at, a baseball game. You know what, what I would do, to be honest? I, I, I'm only adding this. I've never said this before. I'm adding it because I, a long story very short, which usually doesn't nothing, that is never anything I talk about. But um, I never saw like the crooners, like Frank Sinatra or those guys. When I, by the time I would have gone to see, they were older or they weren't at their. So I wanted to see that type of show. And there is. Um, so Jim Gaffigan knows that I like Paul Anka. Like I see his videos online and this guy, I don't care what, if you like electronic music, you can like country music, whatever you like, I'm telling you, this guy is a beast. And I see the videos online, but he just turned 80 and I wanted to go see him at a theater up the street, held 3,000 people. The show was, uh, it was, it was unbelievable. And, but the people sitting next to us, that's where someone was scrolling on his flip phone. Yeah. And I thought about this. The guy, the guy at the end of the aisle, I mean, this was just weird that we ended up in this area. He didn't even want to get up when we walked in. He was having a beef with everybody around him. The woman goes, he's not in his real seat. I'm like, oh my God, he won't get up. So my friend Mike just climbs over him. He's fed up and he climbs over him. And I'm like, but once we sit down... I'm really enjoying, I start really enjoying the show. And, and then the woman behind me is singing literally every word to every other song, which is real annoying. And I didn't want to, but I would have gotten up and done what I'm suggesting people do. But the guy at the end, he wouldn't have been nice. So I go, oh, if I get up, he's going to get annoyed at me, which he did. Eventually, I'll tell you what we did, but we did get up and he acted exactly how I thought he would. We eventually decided to stand on the side. So, but. I think in the future, what I will do, always be on guard for that, and I will bring money with me, cash. Because it is not worth it, whether it's right or whether you should have to do it, and I would go give a door person at least $25 and go, will you do me a huge favor? I know it's not your fault, but the people in my area are really just, one's on their phone, the other one's talking, and give the person 25 And I believe that would end a lot of problems in a lot of situations. And that's what I would, not at a comedy club, I wouldn't say you have to do that there, but you might, you know, maybe, you know, I mean, most good comedy clubs, you ask them to do it and they're going to be on it diligently without any money. But especially when you're at a 3000 seat theater, it's a little different there because there's how many ushers, yeah. but I couldn't go take my own advice to even not, not the money thing. That was recently something I thought of, add some money to it, yeah. make them stand there. Nothing, 25 bucks for them to just stay in that area. And they will appreciate that $25. Yeah. And they probably will stand there more. Yeah. So um, we, we we just got up eventually and we moved to the front of the room on the side. We both look like we belong there. And I sort of know from working with acts, a lot of times they don't know who I am. So I go into the showroom to watch like Daniel Tosh or Jim Gaffigan, whoever I'm opening for. And a lot of time an usher will go, oh, you can't stand on the side of the room. And I'll be like, oh, oh I'm, I'm with Jim. I'm, or I'm, I'm, I'm the opener. Sometimes I'll just say I'm with Jim. I have a placard. I don't even show it. I just sort of like put it out. And then most of the time I forget it. And they never argue. They go, oh, okay, cool. So <laughs> we went to the side. We go, if they ask us, we'll say, we were going to see the violin. Oh, ugh. 
so so Jim knows I like Polanka, and then uh, he's learning how to fake play the violin for a movie. And the woman that really plays the violin is in Polanka's band. So and and we went to the show to see it, and and um we just had the lie made up. We're like. Yeah, well, we're meeting uh, her here at the side door, but the people next to us were talking, so we're just standing here. But we never, no one cared. And it made the show, we went far up. And we stood on the side straight. We looked, you know, and uh, we weren't lingering in the, I keep glued right up to the wall. We got like eight rows back, stood up on the side. There was like a little alcove. It was so much fucking better to be away from that stupid negative energy. Yeah. And the guy scrolling through his and flip phone oh i was so happy i told my friend i go aren't you glad we did this he goes yeah he goes and i didn't want to i gotta be honest because i said to him 30 minutes before that why don't we go stand over there he goes you think they'll let us i go yeah no one's gonna you know yeah so i get that feeling and it and it and it made me go back to the comedy clubs two weeks later and my my announcement and what i said to the door staff i cranked it up big time mm. I like that. Yeah. yeah, it really it does make you know everybody else have a, a better. Experience, yeah. Um, do you always have uh, musical elements in your in your shows? I didn't. I I did for a while. Yeah. You know, I had an iPad before, and before the iPad, I had CDs, and um, the live band is only like in the last three years, you know. Okay. And then a lot of my podcast definitely influenced my road show okay a lot of the bits what i you know what everybody calls bits there's stand-up and bits that's really what my show is it's like you see 15 minutes of stand-up and there's a bit there's five minutes of stand-up and then a band bit and then yeah. but there's it's it's primarily a stand-up show but there's just a lot of other elements around it but the bands the band is you know it's probably it's it's a lot of fun it adds i mean act happy brilliant Thank um you. Did you have to like? Does it take ten times as long to to make a show around you know not only your words but now a musical element too? Is it um, way more complicated? Well, for, for the for the uh, before I brought somebody to every job with me, you know, like the keyboard person that also has an iPad, and they know the bits. Like they just the few the few people that do that for me. I used to, before I did that, I would just go into a town the night before and the keyboard player that was playing for me, sometimes I'd never met him before and the drummer, we'd meet at my hotel and we just, but we'd usually, if they smoke, we smoked, I'm a smoker. And then we'd order dinner. I wanted to make it a fun night for them. And then we'd go over the show and you know what? They always did a nice job, but not like someone could do that's done it hundreds of times. Yeah. So now that I bring, but back then that's how it was. And it wasn't that much more. It was an easy setup. It's not the band, you know, the drums don't get mic'd, the keyboard would get mic'd. It wasn't that bad. A lot of music stands and fluff to make it look, you know, try to make it look bigger than it is. And um, now I bring the guy. So it's not, it's not that much more, you know, it's not like I'm, you know, setting up a real band. So it's just, uh, but it's not that much more, but it feels dry without it. I mean, I really like I know I'm going to have to do a road date eventually where I don't have a band. Mm. Well, maybe then I'll just get a local keyboard player, but it's yeah. different. But the bits are, with the guy I bring, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it is more work. After all that, I go, it is more work, but it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. what you like to do. It's what I like Utilize to do. It. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's so fun. Um, no, I've lost my train of thought. Well, shoot, I can't remember. I'm a new podcast. No, you're about. fine. Shut up. <laughs> um, this is I'm all just shutting fluff. up. What? <laughs> all this is just fluff oh, to make it look yeah. professional. <laughs> no, no, I swear These to mics God, aren't I, even on. You go. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
after all that. Like, I just wanted to meet you. And I, I go, I did notice how, like, what if I saw the wood seems to be full? Did you just glue this up? Before? It is, and I rented the van. I'm, my name is not even Nick. Can I ask you a question? Please. To have someone just do this, I would imagine the floor, the bed, what did that cost yeah. you? Well, yeah, and the solar and all that. It's going to sound absurd, but, um, like. With the van or without the van? The van was, the bill was. Wow. Yeah. Monthly. I should interview you. You're, you're the interesting one. Oh, I mean, no, that's a no, big no. investment to do. I really admire that. I really do. And and you probably had to decide what to do. Like, there was probably another version that was 8,000 more, and I can't spend that. And, uh, like, yeah. It, it was also nice, I bet, to just go get it. And it's all, everything works nicely yeah. and it opens and closes. And, and everything has a refinedness to it. Like, even your bed, yeah. it looks nice. It's Thank a polishedness. Like, the wood here, you can tell. I mean, they know what they're doing. They, yeah. They do this all the time. Right. You know? But there are better builds and stuff for sure, like with no exposed metal. And there's there are people who do showers and stuff. But when I uh, when I did want to do a podcast, um, I was like, you know, you do your podcast. But uh, like you did, you know, something public facing before your podcast. Right. People watch your comedy. Before you did <laughs> right. That helped me get an audience. Well, yeah, it's like, who's Nick? We don't want to listen to Nick. Who's Nick? He's right. the guy because, you know, there's millions of podcasts or whatever. It's like. I feel like a poser a little bit. I mean, I have fun. I'm not trying to get famous off podcasting. I have fun. But at the same time, I'm like, am I just talking to the void here? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, it's like, I think it's like anything. Like, you know, it's like starting stand-up. You go, come on, there's a million stand-ups. What am I going to do? Yeah. Have some level of success? And the answer is yes. And we were saying the other day that, like, you know, I, I did really get into TikTok and I really like it and I and I mm. think it's great. I really do think it's great. The only thing that could be negative about any, whether it's movies or TV or TikTok, is disciplining yourself. But that's on you. You can't blame that. That's like going, I hate movies. There's so many bad movies. And all I do is watch movies. I go to the day. I was supposed to do stuff today. I went to the movie theater. I watched five movies. So you hate movies. Well, you don't have discipline. It's like with food or movies or ra radio back in the day or books. You got to, you know... So it's it's very easy to get excited about the, you know, did you know blah, 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 you know, that guy makes $2 million. So I was like, oh, yeah. And then somebody else makes like 700000 And then even in the league of like, they make like 170000 off the, someone who makes 80000 80000 yeah. So just numbers are going down, but we're so enamored with the millions, you think. And then we went really down. I go, what about, you know how many people make 5000 a month? If you make $5,000 a month, now we're going really down. That's not what their dream was right away to go, boy, because they knew people could make, they could make 500000 or two hundred or 180 or whatever it is. Yeah. Right? But 5000 is amazing. Someone that has a TikTok account and they bring in $5,000 a month, that level is like, it's, yeah. it's, I have so much respect for that. Totally. And I, and I met one of the guys in the band, his friend, and he is on TikTok. And we were hanging out one night at Norm's eating after my show, me and Cam, my friend Cam Kavinsky and his friend. And um, I go, how many followers do you have? Just tell me, Brad, because Cam goes, he's doing well. He goes, I have like 450,000. I go, how long have you been doing your TikToks? He goes, eight months. So I went over and I watched. They're funny, but he's consistent. Mm -hmm. He's consistent and he puts out, he puts out a lot of stuff. And I go, wow, that's so cool. So, you know, the same thing with anybody who starts anything. It's like, you know, people do have at all different levels success, you know, and uh Yeah. So I have, you know, more than zero, which is like, you know, you gotta do the thing and then people yeah. will come and you know, even having like uh 
you know, 10 listeners on an episode, it's like, oh, wow, like that's what, cool to me. And it usually know. grows. And you know what? You, you learn new ways to market it. I think yeah. you, sh you probably should be on some level of TikTok. Yeah. Chopping up pieces. You should. And then also, you know, maybe there'll be people on, and I'm actually giving you an idea right now during right. the podcast. Maybe there'll be interesting people that you'll be able to interview. Because sometimes you see somebody, and sometimes it's somebody, the obvious interview, someone that um, maybe had their legs amputated and then they're doing something, you know, go overcoming that or so, something as extreme as that. Or there's one video, I, I wanted to do this, a kid walks out of class and he's sort of yelling at his teacher, but when you watch it, you're going, he's right. Well, sure enough, after I saw it like four times, I went... I go over to the comments. A lot of people are saying what I'm saying. That kid was really smart. I go, I want to interview that kid. Mm. That kid is smart, and I want to know more about him. Mm -hmm. So I thought if I had, like, you know, if you have a studio, especially you with a mobile studio, maybe some of them you won't be able to because he's in Arkansas or Florida. But what about the ones that you find interesting and you can interview? And now you have this mobile interview and TikTok to go find out more about somebody on there that you find interesting. Cause that's, you said that's the show. So it could yeah. be someone on TikTok. It could be a teacher that the way his style of teaching, you go, I want to interview this guy. And he might only have, you know, 117 followers or he might have 200 or whatever he has. Yeah. It doesn't mean that's, that's not your cr criteria of who's interesting. Right. So, and you have the mobile studio. So, and it's fun for me. I'm not going to do it if I don't like to do it right. too. So it is like, uh, I enjoy it too. And, and then I'm a, a filmmaker really. So then I'll like take some clips and I'll put together something fun. And, and some people that I've had on, they're like, Oh, that's cool. I'm going to share that. Cause it likes, I, I like to share it with my followers what I'm doing. Right. And it's just, I think it's fun to network with people and do stuff. The hard part is, you know, convince people to come into my van. You know, that's the weird thing. Yeah. But you know what? <laughs> If you have an open, if you have a chat, if you have a, you know, you have a, uh, uh, yeah, you need, you know, people see what it is and you may have a, yeah. like, yeah, let's say you had a TikTok presence and one of the opening pin videos is, you know, you make something a creative thing and I may have built my own studio and here I am. Mm -hmm. So if I've interviewed people like this and that, the people are trust. I'm here. Yeah. You know my house. I gave yeah. you my address. True. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it did take a couple of people taking a chance at the very beginning. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are people that you know really well, and they're like, yeah, I'll do it. And then, sure enough, this is episode 15. I yeah. think it'll... I think I gave you a good idea. It's a great idea. It really is. Yeah. I just... Consistency. Yeah, I love your book, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Can I ask you? I know we've been here a little bit. That's all right. How long have we been here? I'm six hours. No, six it's crazy. <laughs> Just how comfortable we are. Uh, yeah. An hour and six minutes. Well, okay, we're fine. We're fine. Thank you. What was your question? How do you decide to write a book? You go one day. I uh, I want to share my stories really quick. One of the reasons why you know having you on, for example, or wanting to have you on, it's like again, I thought you were funny when I was a kid watching you on TV and stuff. Um, but again. We can get into it with whatever you want to talk about in your book, but it's like you are using your, you know, human experience and things that you've experienced to not just grow yourself, but to share with others that someone else might benefit. That's what I really like and what I wanted to do with this podcast. It's um, talking to people who experience something and then improve somebody else's, you know, circumstances too by hearing those amazing stories. Writing well, this book, how did you decide I'm going to write a book? Well, thank you, number one. <laughs> that was kind of you to say. Uh, I had said to my manager, hypothetically, because I think another one of his clients about was writing a book, and I go, I could never, I would never want to write a book. And then after I came out, 
uh, somebody approached me about writing a book. And then, you know, Alex, my manager was like, you know, you'd have a, a you'd have a, not even a ghostwriter, a co-author. And um, I was a, very nervous. You know, I went, we went into, um, so, so they hooked me up with this, uh, with this, uh, uh, you know, guy who would write the, 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 the sort of what we pitch. That's not the mm -hmm. book, just to see if we can go get funding for it, basically. Yeah. There was a middle. And his name was Jonathan Grotstein, and I was very comfortable with him. I had not talked about being gay, really, like, publicly ever. You know, like, it was so new to me, even in my home, to be sitting there and going and then telling personal stories about yourself. He was going through a thing with his brother, I think, who had just come out, or going through transition. That really comforted me, especially the way he spoke about it and what his kids had his you know how he dealt with it with his kids was like so i felt really comfortable with jonathan i just saw him about two weeks ago and i really lucked out on that because he, i wrote the book but what he did amazingly this is still giving him the credit he deserves it's actually a compliment he you ever have a friend and you're trying to say something and then they say it for you and you go thank you yeah it was in your head but the brilliance of him to be able to say it better than I could say it, but you feel represented. It wasn't someone else telling your story. It was someone else helping getting out of your head better than you could have, even if he didn't exist. I think what was in my head got to the page more than if I didn't have him and I did it myself. I think it was better with him getting my real word to the page. So he was really helpful. And I really figured out who I was. I never thought the purpose of this would be to figure out who you were. I would never go, I'm going to go to therapy for a year and a half. And it's, I, I admire people to do it, but I want to figure out, maybe get in touch with why I do certain things. And I'm, I don't, I could say I don't need therapy. I'm enjoying my life, but I'm just going to go. And, but that's what happened. Yeah. It, just by like going and talking about your kid, you go, oh, that's why I am who I am. Like you started to go, and then exploring areas of comedy that um, I never thought I would explore in my live act. So, and then, you know, just, I, I, Alex did convince me, like, he was like, you should tell your story because there's all types of young people and old people that are gay and they should be represented from every, like, when you talk about you don't like the word gay, I was worried, like, do I come off like, I'm trying to give these, give people confidence. No, you're being honest. And um, so... And then I was watching at the time, a lot of kids were killing themselves, and I'm sure it happens all the time. Unfortunately, it doesn't always get the press it, but press it gets, but during that period it was. And I just thought, I'm giving validity that this is something worth hiding. And I, and I, and I thought that it would be, uh, yeah, help. I did think it would be helpful. And I was watching the It Gets Better campaign. And that's funny, because that was what gave me the courage to do it. Like, you would see a lot of times younger kids and, they would post their videos of watch it gets better and then they'd comment on it or something or they'd tell their story. And um, I was like, wow, I'm, I remember this kid, he had to be 14 years old sitting on the bed with his dog and he's chewing gum and he's throwing a hacky sack up and down and he goes, hey, everybody, it's whatever. I just, uh, he commented on, I think, on the uh, It Gets Better campaign and thanked them. And then he goes, also... Yeah, just now you all know. He goes, yeah, I mean, I guess you can't help it if you like dudes, right? And it was so calm and just so like this little young adult, but like, you know, and I was like, wow. And it sort of gave me, you know, gave me uh, courage to go, okay, he can do it. And he's a young, a young adult. But I, and um, so, and um, I got some nice emails and I'm glad that I did it. It made me a better person. If it helps someone else, obviously that's going to be a, make you feel really good but um 
I got a lot of nice emails, and I'm so, I, I you know, and I, and, and you know, I used to not read any of my emails. I just wasn't aware before this of people would send them to me, but I never, I, I never, you know, I never, never looked at them. I, I knew I had a thing on my website, but I, I never really read the emails. But once this happened, I did. And I'm like so glad to think. Sometimes I think of the unanswered emails that I can answer. I do have the time to do it. I just never did it because I wasn't in that. I don't know. I just, you know, you know how it is. And yeah. There wasn't the social media as much then. It was most people could email you. But when I would read these emails, I would be like, oh, my God. I'm so glad these emails are getting answered as opposed to just laying somewhere. And there was, there's a lot of nice people. There's a lot of nice people and there's a lot of good people and there's a lot of kind people and, you know, you know, I know people spend a lot of time talking bad about the internet and I get it. There's bad everything, but there's a lot of good love and kind people, especially, not especially, but yeah, on TikTok. You know, I watch it. There's funny stuff. There's silly stuff. There's heartwarming things. There's things that can make you be a better person. Sometimes something, it's a 10 second video. Of maybe a guy takes his little girl jumping into his arms and then freeze, and then it shows 25 years later, the same that she wore, sort of the same. And you're like, oh, what's, what's that mean? In 10 seconds, what did that just mean, that little video? It goes fast. And, you, and it makes you appreciate the day better. And then there's just funny stuff. And you know what? I used to go, yeah, I don't watch it for the dances, but guess what? I watch it for that, too. Even sometimes that's great. So, um... But there wasn't all that, you know, there wasn't all as much that. But now, now there is, you know, it's good. Yeah. It's amazing <laughs> that you, well, you've used your platform for good. I, I love that. And, uh, I mean, now that you've, you know, it is probably a level of, like, you know, vulnerability that you have to work towards. And now that it's, you know, you've written personal things in yeah. this book and you have, your, you know, your story on podcasts and, and WTF and stuff like that. Uh, what is that like now that you have? your story out there, do you still feel like uh, I'm like nervous that people are going to, you know, interpret it a different way? You're like, I, it's going to help somebody. No, no, I, I know. That's why, you know, I don't talk about it on stage and it's only because I don't know how to get into it. I just figured this out like a month ago. I was like, you just, because I used to talk about my heart attack in my act. And then it seemed like a great flow into without going, Hey everybody, I'm gay. Like, making a big deal about it or because I get it like and and um so like it just flowed I'd be talking about that and then in that story when the ambulance is taking me away I tell a story about yelling to a friend of mine I can't say my significant other or boyfriend so I go call my girlfriend so that story's in there telling about having a heart attack side note I go and by the way folks you're gonna learn a little bit about me right now so I'm yelling out I'm I tell that story and then it's got a few funny things in it and I go anyway back to the heart attack that was a real great way, and it was just so smooth and not like, now I don't know how to get into it, but I do think it's important to talk about. It's good for me, because it shouldn't be my whole act, nor does it have to be, but it is part of my life, and it's healthy for me to talk about, and if the bonus is, if somebody's in the audience and they relate with you, you're like, oh, this guy seems like, ah, I'm, I'm like just, you know, he seems like me, like, you know, you know then you're helping them and maybe you have a slant on it that makes people open their mind or just laugh or and um and make it casual and don't make a big deal about it and that's just who I am it is healthy for me too it's good for the audience but now I'm just trying to think because like I my brother asked me one night and I go I, don't, I bared my soul to him I go you know because maybe I'm embarrassed about this I go you know what if I don't think I have the crowd on my side I won't really talk about it mm. 
you know, I'll flip the, you know, I'll just go to the next thing. And I, I guess I know, it's like you said, you're burying your soul. You're telling, it's, I know it's 2022 and in one essence, people go, nobody gives a shit. But there are people that still give a shit about a lot of things and you're admitting that. So sometimes I won't talk about it unless I think I'm doing good. <laughs> I know, because it's just a personal part. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think it's amazing that you have that ability to share something and you're comfortable to share it when you want to and it yeah. will and it does and it. But I should up it. I should talk about it more. And I'm, yeah. and I'm, and I'm going to start talking about it more. I just need the way. I told my friend, I go, help me. How can I get into it? Mm. And we think we came up with the idea. Yeah. So, I said, yes, he gave me an idea. And I go, oh, I love that. So I think once that happens, I think it's going to really start. I'll be able to talk about it, you know, uh, for however long I want. I do an hour and 15 minute show. Maybe I talk about it for 10 minutes. Yeah. I, sh I should. Yeah. It's part of my life. Gosh, I am. Um, I think about my own, uh, you know, personal life when I'm like doing this thing because this is the first very, you know, public, you know, technically public facing thing I'm doing. You know, I, I like to talk to people all the time. I talk to people at work. I love it. Um, but I'm like, gosh, I don't even think I'm like really sharing my, my deep soul here. But it is weird like to, to be typically the guy behind the camera. Now I'm like talking a little bit more about myself. Yeah. Um, it is a bit scary. I mean, it is scary. Uh, but it only gets better. Yeah, yeah. The more you talk about they, you know, Mr. Rogers. This, uh, let me tell you something. The more you learn about Mr. Rogers, the more you love him. And he said certain mantras can really look. Certain growth takes years in therapy. That type of growth, where you know, or whatever, whatever you do. There's certain growth that takes a lot of work. It doesn't happen overnight. But sometimes there are these little things that can, you know, not deal with thick depression or anything like that, or but just get, can can get you out of a little, what I call a rut or, or you know. And Mr. Rogers has a few of them. And one of them was, if it's mentionable, it's manageable, which is brilliantly simple. That you have to mention something first to then be able to manage it. And then it could be, it could be minute. Not everything has to be like a big, big deal, but whatever it is. And with my friends that all know that quote now, if I ever ask them a question or go, can I ask you? They go, if it's mentionable, it's manageable. You got to mention it. And then the other one was look for the helpers, which is a very like at a time when things are bad, like, you know, back to 9-11 or school shooting, when you need some serenity to, to go, people are also amazing when you needed a time when we've witnessed evil to just something that can work right away and you can tangibly see it right away. Look for the helpers. Yeah. And then you can go, wow, okay, it doesn't, it doesn't put, it doesn't soothe it so much where it goes away, but it is real. It's not, it's so real to go, you can slant your head to the left in these horrible situations and look for the helpers and be reminded how decent people could be, you know, and that is the one I always think about too, look for the helpers. It's included here too, which I also I, love. I, uh, <laughs> I do, I do say, I do say it there. I have a lot. I think I have a few Mr. Rogers quotes. Yeah, yeah that was. Um, you know what I wanted to name the book, and I, to this day I think I should. I wanted to name it. You, I mean, it, the it, the name, the title would lead to a question for most people, and I would have put it in the subtitle. I wanted to call it. All I ever wanted to do was meet a girl with a terminal illness, <laughs> and and it was originally cancer. I, all I ever wanted to do was meet a girl with cancer. And I, I, I wasn't worried about the people that might be have cancer or terminal illness because that's not the, the, the poke isn't there. The poke is that the desperation of me and a friend when I was like 22, my friend Rich goes, I, I, he, we're talking about being in the closet. And I go, 
Uh, he was the only friend I had that knew, only friend. Mm -hmm. And we would just have conversations and be like, he, and he'd be like, I have a real stupid idea, but you know what I thought? Like if I met a girl and then she maybe, you know, and you moderate because you're not, you know, maybe she had cancer. You're not thinking of the reality of falling in love with someone. That's not where the joke is or what the point is, the delusion and how, what you will do to stay in the closet. Well, and when he said, I meet a girl with cancer, I go, I thought the same thing. Like if I met a girl with cancer or whatever, she died, then I could go, oh, Todd never got over, you know, Rachel or whoever it was. Um, and uh, so I wanted to call the book and I go, well, we could just say terminal illness. And I thought with the subtitle, maybe they'll be okay with it. Um, all I ever wanted to do is meet a girl with a terminal illness and then and other stupid things I said to keep the closet door shut, which I didn't want the title have closet in it or anything like that. I go, but I put that in it. And, and because that tells everything and other stupid yeah. things I said to keep the closet door shut. Most people would go, oh, he probably meant, you know, she'd die. And, yeah. But um, they, they weren't, they were so nice about everything. And, and when I, but that they, they, they sort of. The editor was like. Eh. Yeah, they, they weren't aboard with that. Okay. I just think if that got on somebody's desk, it's a lot more likely to have you on the show. Like if someone said to Howard Stern or to, to anybody, you know, I want, thought I'd get on that show or, you know. That, that book, all I ever wanted to do, that it's like something intriguing about that title, mm -hmm. more intriguing than that. And I think I'm right. I think it's great. I think the way you touch on it in the book is amazing too. When you, when it dawned on me when you were saying, oh, I wanted to call it something different, a couple weeks ago, I was listening to you on a Rogan show, and you were, weren't you going to call Act Happy something else too? Act Happy, I wanted to call um, uh, 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 Pigeon, Pigeon, <laughs> or something like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, go suck, my, oh, suck my pigeon. <laughs> because that was like the joke when the pigeons are in the city and you're and the light turns green and you start to drive and they walk so slow they're like strutting across the street they're like yeah i know i can fly suck my pigeon and that i go oh we should call it suck my pigeon i remember hearing you say that i didn't know why i wanted to ask you why and that's, that's why that's why because it's a joke in the act yeah um but <laughs> suck my pigeon <laughs> and i think in the special i go Suck my pigeon. I go, I think we're going to call the special that. And then we call it Act Happy only because when we're getting off the tour bus, I'm joking with the band. And I go, because we're going to walk by people. I go, act happy, everybody. Remember, we have to act happy. Like, <laughs> just, but anyway. You have some exciting shows coming up. Yeah. With, I do. Uh, Mr. Gaffigan. I'm going on tour with Jim and his, and, and I'm very excited about this. I know Jim's family. He has five kids. And I really just have great uh, affection for them. And I only sort of met him. I met them over the years, but recently really got to know them. And they're really special. I really, during the pandemic, I went and, because uh, we had five days off, and I went to and and, and lived with them for five days. And, and that's when I really got to know them. And the, one of the sons is coming on the tour with just me, Jim, and the son, and the road manager. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. It's called, uh, I think the tour is called Three Men in a Bus. Yeah. And um, I'm really looking forward to that. It's a really... It's going to, uh, those tours are really fun. He has, like I said, he has a really cool a tour manager who is this, so like me with wanting, I mean, he goes into these 5,000 seat rooms and he does things I do in a little comedy club. Like, can we get those lights off? So I'm like performing it with the best person in the world, creating every venue to, to just as good as you can possibly make one of those big venues sometimes. Um, and then um, we go out to eat after the show and the tour bus, and it's um, it's pure joy. And then doing it with his son is going to be fun because we're all going to get to know each other at another level. And then uh, to be self-promoting, um, I have 10-year-old Tom that just got picked up for a second season, which is an animated show on, um, on HBO Max, and I play the principal. And 
I'm having the time of my life. I mean, they let me ad lib a lot. I told my all my friends that see it, they go, oh, you can tell how much they let you ad lib because they know these stories, if it's true from my life or if it's something that bothers me and I just work it in and they let me. So it's a lot. It's a great cast. There's like besides people that I don't know all their names, but like um, but I know I, I read with them and they're still funny. Um, and there's a lot of them. I'm embarrassed. I don't know their name, but I know like some names that people are familiar with. David Duchovny plays the uh, the ice cream man, mm-hmm. and John Malkovich is one of the voices. He plays the uh, drama teacher at the high school. And I was watching Righteous Gemstones the other night for the first time, and the daughter. I'm like, oh my god, I love this. Uh, everybody on the cast is really great, but we were just going, oh, well, she is like, you gotta love her. And by the third episode, I like got it. I was like, oh my God, I love her. And my friend goes, that's the woman that plays Tom in the sh- in your show, the animated show. That's who plays Tom's mom. Oh. So I'm always on the, the, I'm in the studio. She's recording. We're talking all the time. And I'm like, oh my God, that's her? Because she's wow. great as the mom. Now we'll have something to talk about the next time we do a phone session together. But uh, so it's a it's a really fun show, and it's a, it's it's um, and and I've been working on that, so that's been fun. And getting ready to do another, uh, getting ready means you know just trying to get put the hour together to do another special. That's amazing. I just want to thank you so much for doing Nick's VanCast. Uh, thank you. Yeah, this is amazing. Like I said, it's a dream come true. Thank Be- you. Before I uh, do like episodes and stuff, I, I really don't try to like tell people that I even know because I'm like, uh, you know, things fall through, people get busy, you know, and just sometimes it doesn't happen. And so like, you know, maybe like two days ago, I like told someone, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm doing a podcast episode with Todd Glass. And they're like, Todd Glass is a legend. It's so true. So, you Well, know, thank you. I, I, I appreciate it. And you know what? Like we talked about, you know, uh, comedians being pretty cool overwhelmingly. I think when they meet my family over the years, they've all, all comedians always do me proud. They're so sweet. They're so nice. I'm worried like, oh, you're going to meet my, my mom or my, you know, they might ask a dumb question. And um, whenever I met comedians, like when I was doing videos, like when I first moved out here and we make shorts and mm. everybody was like, everybody was nice and they, and they had follow through and like, uh, so I go, that's why when I get those emails, I always read them and I'm like, I can do these. And I love talking about comedy and this was very intriguing. So, um, so thank you for asking me. And it was fun to do. Absolutely. Everybody needs to read your book, listen to your podcast, watch your specials. You're everywhere. There you go. uh, The Todd Glass show. It's a real show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, thank you. You're, you're an amazing guy, um, and I can't wait to see all that you continue to do. Thank so, you very much. Hug glass, everybody. There we go. I feel like I'm at the ticket top of my game, looking down at the